Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. G'day and welcome to the Pod Pod, back for another edition of the Holmes Files. As you can tell, it's Holmesy here and I've got another special guest and I've I've gone straight to the top for this this last edition, most likely before we we see some round zero games and, and we're stuck into the footy season. I've got Selby from Marrera's Magic. Selby, how are you today, mate? Holmesy, good, mate. Good to be on the Holmesy's Files. I've enjoyed listening to them since, oh, it's almost what... Um... December, the one which old uh, DT Lemon was on, so nah, good to be on. Yeah, I should probably go back and have a have have a listen to to see what's kind of changed since we sat down in December. It was all it was all pretty fresh, and things have kind of evolved a lot over the preseason, and we're starting to see some some footy now, which is which is really good. And I feel like our teams are you know they're shaping up a little bit. We're going to get to it in terms of the the forward line and even the defensive line that's looking to be a bit tricky at the moment, but. You've been doing all your work at Marrera's Magic, and we know that you just play Super Coach now. But how are you kind of? Where have you been putting your time this preseason? You're playing Super Coach, but with the 40 trades this year, it's almost you know pretty similar to AF in terms of how you set your team up. How are you? How are you looking this preseason so far? Yeah, building my Super Coach team, and I like the limited trades of Super Coach. I think it throws another element because I think we all know now with AF that you want to be getting value out of all your players regardless if they're your M1 or R1, you want to hope to get value. Whereas Supercoach with these limited trades, when there was, well, I think it was before COVID, they had 30 limited trades. So assuming you're going to get 10 forced trades for the year, that's 20 trades for upgrading, which one down, one up means that you've only got 10 spots on your field. You can upgrade, so you want to start 12 best 22 players or keepers. So that's where that whole metric came so that's now gone to 40 so in terms of how many keepers you can start it would go down to as little as six or seven so very similar now the two of them mind you i have run out of trades the last two years so those extra four trades we're going to get this year in Supercoach should help wherever i've been spending my time so yeah building the team there obviously what we do at Marrera's magic and then launch this new platform bolter which i dare say we'll speak about at the very end but if you haven't already check it out bolter.team and we're the only ones playing a round zero uh, fancy comp. So even if you just want to play for one round, jump on round zero and and pick all these players who we're so tempted to pick in a real-life classic game, but these early buyers throw on a curveball, well, this one you can pick, Tom Green, Dacos, Golden, pick them all, and uh, it will be a nice prize for the, for the round zero comp. Yeah, mate, we'll definitely we'll plug that in, in a little bit more detail at the end. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, especially you look – Bit of footy tonight. Tom Green was everywhere early. Goulden just was doing Goulden things. So it's all these picks that we'd love to be able to pick in a normal fantasy game. But unfortunately, there's a little bit more to it with the buyers this year, which we will get stuck into. So what I like to do for these, we'll go line by line and we can kind of talk about 
how we're sort of structuring up and, and how we're seeing it. So let's start with defence. What are you kind of thinking with the defensive line this year and how are you looking to structure up? Good question because I started the season thinking that the top-priced defenders, and typically we see those top defenders remain, unlike the midfield, which quite often gets a full shuffle and someone could go from M1 to M12 or 15 the next year, quite often most of that top six stays in defence. And I was looking and you could mount a case for all of the top six defenders from last year to be fairly priced or even underpriced. Like Dacos, we know that he's a freak going into his third season. He's going to be better again, had that injured game built into him. Sinclair back half the year when he started playing less in the midfield. When Steele was back, he went 108 back half of the year. Price at 102, went 110 last five when he only had 5% CBA. So it's like, well, if he goes back to halfback flank, what can he do there? Sheasel second year, you'd think he'd get a boo. So there was, there was an argument. Tom Stewart had that injured game round one, which you know too well, unfortunately. So there was an argument to say that they were all coming in under price. Now we've got this, obviously, the buyer throwing things out and the day cost situation is an interesting one, how that's played. The pre-season key position injuries to Hawthorne means Sicily might be more defensive and it doesn't lie the stats, him with or without Blank. I think the numbers were, what have we got here? 114 with Blank in the side last year and 91 without. I still thought he was going to, there was going to be a role for Granger Barras, and he'd still be close to that 110 mark than the 100 mark and be value at 105. But now with another injury down, it's hard to start with him. Sinclair sounds like he might have missed round one. So, yeah, this top echelon of the D1 lock and load is getting shaky. So then, like, oh, I enjoyed your chat the other day talking about Hayden Young, where I've, I am in that same boat of just having him in the team and not even thinking about him. But Maybe he is the one we have to think about whether you move him up or move him down because he could be caught in no man's land. But at the moment, I'm I'm still keen enough on that little price point of where him and Yo and that are sitting. Yeah, so what I'm kind of struggling with, I've always been someone that's liked to put a, a rookie or two in defence if I can with, you know, before we had the Dacoses and the Dawsons and these guys that were going 110, typically you would see, you know, your top averaging defenders sort of topping out at 95 to 100 and they weren't really hurting you. They were, they were kind of flat, but with the way fantasy's played these, or not fantasy, sorry, with the way footy's played these days, we're starting to see these really big scores off the off the back line. So what I'm struggling with this year is, you know, we're, we're hoping that we get a Nick Caulfield that we can slot in at D6 and we're hoping that Williams gets to the line and we might see him round zero or round one. But, we, you know, outside of a Josh Gibkiss who's not really going to be a scorer, we don't have any rookies that a we can put on field or or even stash on our bench and what are we going to do if we don't actually get a nick caulfield or we don't get a williams it's i think it's really unprecedented what we're looking at in defense this year would you agree that it is it is if curtain plays i think he'll be okay like that's the where we differ i listen to you a lot and i think a lot of the stuff you say i'm i'm bang on with except you have more faith in these or we're braver to play these extra rookies. I know that you you don't mind rolling out an extra rookie than me typically, and you typically do that in defence. So normally I do try to strengthen up my back line and not have this uh, the rookie. But as you said, like in 
trying to think who they were in the glory years, whether it was the Murray from uh, Collingwood who came out and averaged 80 odd. And there's always seems to be that. Had Dude come out and averaged close to 70, I think, in his first year. Yeah, so it was a bit Murray different. There has always been the good one, which, yeah, you're right, there isn't that one this year. But I'm, and this is where those buys come in. So for, what, four of the first six weeks, you might not need that D6 anyway if it's a if it's a dodgy one. So my strategy of the past, which is take a haircut on most positions to mean less rookies on the field so you don't have to wear that 40 or 35 even in this D6 position if it's a rookie. But does that matter as much in with these early buys? That's what I'm trying to grapple at too. Um, particularly with Supercoach. Like, is it worth paying up for that? Having Nick Caulfield as your D6, knowing that, well, you might not count him for four of the first six anyway. You're better off getting that cheaper rookie and then getting a, another mid-pricer elsewhere up to a premium. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not Dan Curtin uh, actually makes the makes the squad this week. Kind of seems out of Adelaide that they're kind of, you know, easing him into it. He's had a bit of knee soreness over the preseason and they see him as a bit of a long-term project for them. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he makes it to to round one or not. One, sorry, a- I'm, a rookie expert. I'm not a rookie expert, but just one to keep an eye on Oscar Ryan from Adelaide. A lot of buzz coming from there from inside Adelaide. There's people saying that this is the best bunch of draftees I've, I've seen and, uh, Enough people have spoken about they they really like him. He, I think he went pick twenty seven or something in the draft, and numbers are pretty good. I think he had like a couple of scores over one hundred and TAC cut. But keep an eye on him; he'll be the savior. Yeah, yeah. We spoke. Well, you spoke about some of those top end guys, but what about these guys that are priced around that sort of seventy to eighty mark? So you're looking at. Jordan Clark's a bit of a buzz name at the moment. We've got Kitty Coleman, who uh, he looked good from what I saw today and, and put up some good scores. And he just seems like he's rolling on from uh, what he did in the final series. One that popped his head up uh, two days ago was Christian Salem with a full-time midfield role, which is interesting. He clearly, Clary's going to be back at some point, but there is some midfield minutes up for grabs now that Angus Brayshaw has retired. We've spoken about Elliot Yo, who I'm very hot on, uh, but what are we thinking about these players? Could you start them all? Would that be too many I think if it was no round zero, it'd be a big risk not knowing what their scoring potential is going to be. But the fact that outside of Yo, the other names you mentioned, and you can throw Zach Williams in that as well, but a Butterick who you also didn't mention, a Salem, a uh, Coleman, like you'll know what their score is. So it's a much safer one. One, knowing role, what it's like in the real stuff, we can guess as much as we can. And we do all this research in the preseason and listen to training notes and listen to interviews and watch the match sim. But as you always know, come round one, a curveball's thrown and you just got to remember that preseason. We, we loaded up with mid-prices. I think it was 2019 or 2021 maybe where it was the Phillips from Hawthorne and the Dugowie in the midfield and Jordan Clark on the halfback flank, and which they were in the preseason. Then come round one, Clark was playing half-forward bench goey forward and Phillips pushed out of the midfield. So the fact that three of those or lots of those defenders you spoke about, we're going to see what their role is in the real life, what their score is. So then you, that's built into the next price um, price rise. So uh, I think it's going to actually reduce a lot of the risk of starting those because you'll know what they're going to do. And if they're no good in round zero, then you might jump to the other one and, and get away with it. Or you, 
you go the rookie and, and step up to to a premium. Yeah, you're dead right. This round zero, definitely uh, a chance for us to watch. Let me just go back to Christian Salem for a second. So hypothetically, let's say he is the M2 behind Viney because we assume that Petrarca is still going to be in there a lot, but they do like to throw him forward a little bit. When when everything's back to normal, say round three, four, five, when Clary's back, he's he's fully fit and back in the team. What do you think Salem can average as that sort of M4 for Melbourne if that's the role that sticks? It's a good question because I didn't see him as a tackler. And I, again, I didn't watch this game. I'll, I'll try to watch it, uh, at least the shorts of it. But I believe he had lots of tackles, didn't he? Yeah, nine tackles. Nine tackles, which is surprising considering the typical – no, I know his role doesn't normally bring about tackles that um, distributor off halfback flank. But obviously if you can add that to the game, it's going to be a great result. So I haven't actually even considered him playing as a midfielder. Obviously they played yesterday. I haven't done any adjustments on my end of rankings. But say if all those players are back, is he going to be the M4? Does he go back to the number one defender Um for a distributor for Melbourne down back, which you know that in the past he scored oh, what, three seasons of 90 and above, which is good enough, I think, this season at that price, at 78. So, yeah, again, round zero, we'll, we'll be able to get a buff. If he can go 90 in round zero, we know he's going to get an immediate cash jump uh, if he's got that midfield role. So uh, that, that certainly takes some risk off it. But, yeah, I haven't really... Um, digested him in the midfield yet with my calculations. Yeah. And, yeah, we know Clary's coming back at some point and who knows, it could be round zero. It could be at the start of the season. But if you do get a clean four or five, six, four, five, six weeks with Salem in there, then it could be the perfect trade up to Dacos coming off his buy as well. So there's there's plenty to, to think about there. He'd be the perfect one because I, th- I think the, the talk pre-season was he was going to play even as a half forward and trying to get his good kicking inside 50 for Melbourne rather than Oliver Petrarca just sort of bombing it in there, which has been the knock on the Ds. So, yeah, he could end up playing that high half forward role, which isn't great for fantasy. If, but as you said, if after that time come his bye, that could be perfect time to, to flick him to a day cost. And you are the Freo man. Oh, I am as well. But just before we move on to the midfield, Jordan Clark, we, we've seen Hayden Young, you know, average 88 to 90 in that halfback role for Freo. We know that Luke Ryan, you know, commands a lot of footy back there. Can he go 90 and be a value pick at his price? Because if he goes mid-80s from there, it's a bit of a nothing pick, right? A bit like Andy McGrath last year. You'd assume that he goes better than that, but he's never really averaged above 83 before. Can he do it? couple of things on that. Firstly, yes, you are a docker, even though when you came second that season and you registered under a West Coast supporter with a West Coast logo as your banner and you were the highest ranked member. So I went out and got you a signed West Coast Guernsey as the prize and you it took you about a year to come clean and you said, oh, look, mate, I've just got to let you know I'm not even an ego supporter. So uh, that's the first thing on that. Jordan Clark. Shout out. I think first I heard him floated. I know people have floated him a bit recently, but I reckon Calvin very early in the piece made mention of Jordan Clark. And it makes sense what last five last year, which was the last five when Young was moved in the midfield, he averaged 88, price at 76, 88. I don't think it's going to be a failed pick in the back line, particularly with the likelihood of those top end guys dropping down in price. So I think that can be his floor, 88. And 
while Luke Ryan demands so much of the ball and distribution back there, he also likes to play a little bit of a one-two and he doesn't mind kicking it backwards and sideways and shorts. There's always someone else who bobs up with a decent score. We've seen Brandon Cox get some massive scores last year, which he's out to start the season. No Hayden Young then. Well, I've got him D16 at the moment. He probably needs to bump up a little bit from D16. I think he can push that 90 mark. Jordan Clark, how about you? Yeah, look, I I think there's upside and I don't usually like picking these players. You know, Brayshaw and Sarong, or Sarong not as much, but Brayshaw loves getting those cheap cheap kicks out of D50 as well. He's always the one hitting up um, from the kickouts as well. If Caleb Sarong does get a little bit more outside ball, uh, maybe there's a little less there. But, yeah, I think there's definite growth from his price. I'm just not sure where it gets to. But, yeah, if, if I've got the cash there and I need it, then he, he's an option. He's definitely an option. For a Docker supporter, like 23, he's still so young. Like he should he should be he should be improving, shouldn't he? Pre by seventy four, post by seventy nine, last five eighty eight, coming into his age twenty three season. He's showing that high ceiling in the past for those early games in for Geelong. Um, yeah. As a Docker supporter though, I also don't want them chipping around the ball as much in the back line as what they have been, and I want them to be able to win a centre clearance too, so the ball's not back there as much. That's true. Yeah, interesting watch on Jordan Clark. I, the unfortunate thing is they play Port Adelaide in Adelaide this week, so I don't think it's going to be a fair reflection of what he scores. And if he does come out and pump out a good score against a, a team that's hard to score against, I think that's probably going to give the the green light to to pick him. Let's move into the midfield now. I'm I'm actually struggling with the midfield a little bit. I think you're someone that's never liked to pay up for for midfielders. You you say that that generally you don't start anyone priced over a hundred if they're not not there to pick, whereas I've been a little bit different in the past. I know when I came second in 2021, I started both McRae and Merritt that were priced at over 110, and it just helped that they both started the season going at 120, and and that was the value that I needed. But I'm struggling to see a lot of upside in these guys that are priced quite highly. In fact, I'm actually seeing it, you know, they're either fairly priced or there's reasons that there might be a little bit of regression. So are you against at the moment with what we've got starting up someone around that sort of 110 mark? I think the last four years, the winners have had someone priced 116 plus. So there's certainly definitely room, particularly with this rolling lockouts with the two cracks at the captain. Like you want to be having someone to nail that 115 plus. So depending how confident we are with a Gorn as captain, there's no one in defence who I think you put the captain on and there's no one in the forward line you put the captain on. So it there is merit to spend up and... Um, maybe it, you won't find someone who's fairly priced or underpriced. Maybe it's just fully priced for that upside. Like the issue is you try to think who is it going to be. Bont, we know it's very hard to back up what they've done in the past, even though he went 123 post-buy. Clary's obviously coming off that pre-season. Uh, Zachy Merritt kind of just does Zachy Merritt stuff. I think he's going to uh, they're going to try to have him a bit more like Lockie Neal was last year where they're less reliant on Zach Merritt, so he might – sort of I can't see him getting a big boost. The the two obvious ones are the young kids from good strong teams being Errol Goulden and Tom Green, but obviously that early buy throws that out of whack. But I dare say if there was no early buy, that'd be pretty nice. If you reckon you started with uh McCray and Merritt that year, I think you could probably pair that Tom Green and Errol. Yeah, what about a, a Rory Laird? There was word out of today that he's going to play a bit more forward. I don't believe that for a second, but 
I'm always someone that's a little bit skeptical of having or just assuming that you're going to have three players in the same team average, you know, over 100. There's been teams that do it. And we saw last year in patches that uh, Adelaide were able to do it. But even when Matt Crouch came in, uh, we had Dawson regress a little bit. Laird just still did Laird things. I think you you put up the stat. I think he was 114 post or the last five or whatever it was or when, when Crouch came in. So the scoring is definitely there. But could we be confident that a Rory Laird's going to come out and you know go north of that 109 and not be a failed starting pick? Yeah, I didn't love the quote. Uh, that's for sure. I also don't believe it, but why say it? I think they definitely need to get those quicker players in the game and they obviously want to play Crouch, so they're not going to kick Dawson out the way he's going. So maybe it does make a little bit of sense that Laird, rather than him getting his 82% set of bounces, that might drop to 70%, which, yeah, if he can... Uh, if he goes to 70% and averages 105 or 106, then it's not going to be a great starting pick, as you said. But since he's moved in the midfield, when 2020 is average 114, price at 109. I don't know. I'm, Laird's currently in my super coach team as one of my more expensive midfielders. So uh, I was a believer. As I said, I, was, I didn't, while I don't believe it, I also didn't love hearing that quote today on Laird. But yeah. you do, I agree with you with that certain amount of how much ball can there be to win. I know that they get a lot of stoppages, Adelaide. And it's funny, I remember this time last year, I was talking up um, Jaeger O'Meara and completely wrong on that. It was one of the biggest fails of last year. And you were like, look, I like O'Meara, but you've got Will Brody's going to go over 100 and you've got Brayshaw who's going to go over 100. But then who knew that? Will Brody was out. O'Meara didn't get the kick. And it was Sarong who was the one who popped up and went. So you're probably right. You, you want to be one of those top two in top two scorers in their team. Yeah, I suppose the the one thing we can fall back on is that you know the Bulldogs who played a very similar style last year in terms of very very it's high very stoppages. High they had uh, Bont go one seventeen. Uh, Trelaw was one hundred and five, but he was even bigger in the back back five games. You had Libba who was over a hundred. And then you even had McRae, who still didn't have the role, but was, you know, mid nineties for most of the season before dropping off for those last two games. So it can be done. I just, yeah, it's if you can find someone elsewhere that isn't from the same team as someone else in terms of like I'm thinking of starting a Laird and a Crouch, maybe it's better off to if I if I want to start Crouch to look somewhere elsewhere for Laird just in case. Yeah, and that's a strategy which I've heard which is if you think that Crouch is going to have such a big bump and you're worthwhile starting, then it might be coming off Laird. So you probably shouldn't be starting both of them. But I I think in their system that they can both succeed. And as I said, on my super coach, I've currently got both of those same players, Crouch and Laird. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about structure then because I think at the moment there's two different structures that are floating around. There are people that are looking to start the three rookies in McKercher, uh, Sanders and then Sharp if he shows enough against Port Adelaide on the weekend on that wing or there's people that are spending down a little bit and looking at more of your Nick Martin, Carl Amon, Matt Crouch, Ollie Wines types which might be able to stretch out to only have two rookies on field but how are you seeing at the moment? I always like reducing those rookies on field and I like the two of McKerch and Sanders, Sharp showing he can score but the wing who knows I think he's a nice uh, M9 
But then Roberts looked okay again tonight from Swans. Does he pop in there? And I think then this is where I'm struggling this year, trying to find the balance between hunting all that value. Like those names you said, they're all going to outperform their price, no question. But you're going to have to spend the money somewhere. We're not spending in the forward line. We're not – which went through the top end of the defenders. I doubt anyone's putting two or three of those expensive defenders in there. And then the rucks are cheap for those who are wanting to pick. So – uh, I think that almost forces our hand that it is uh, you can spend up on that on that and then uh, and have the two rookies on on the field on the on the midfield. Yeah, especially if we're we're spending down in the forward line, which we'll actually get to in a little bit when we get down there in terms of what a Flanders did tonight and what his role is going forward. Let's let's just quickly touch over some of these options that are you know at the top but not quite at the top. So. Uh, you're back on a, a Jack Steele, the uh, the Jack Steele train. You were you were not negative early in the preseason, but you and Zave were kind of talking through it and wondering whether or not he could get back there. But him being the the main guy in the midfield with not a, a not a lot of players running through that St Kilda midfield, and him looking healthy, you, you're keen to jump on a Jack Steele. Yeah, I wasn't keen seeing how like Ross Lyons wanting to get pace in and even on the off season, who'd they get Liam Henry and Riley Bonner and Malira. Like they're, they're so good to watch. It's funny. It's a bit different to the Dockers we used to watch. And I like the Saints. I've said, I've never, I've liked the Saints for 15 years. Whereas this year, I think that they're, they're good. And just watching him last year, he was just caught in no man's land so many times and they were moving it quick and less stoppages. It's like, well, maybe it's moved on. He's looking old and slow, but, He's 28. I still can't believe how young he is being 28. Everything went wrong last year in terms of his, what do you have, that uh, AC joint early, came back early from that, did the MCL, continued to play, didn't miss a game with the MCL, and then there was that rumour about his Achilles, had strapping everywhere. So, And he still managed a 98 average. So that's kind of the sweet spot price I typically like to target. And um, I'll, I'll be nice. I didn't watch his practice match last week. It'll be good to see him running around on the weekend and if he can, if he looks like he's covering the ground well enough, because I think he's going to have to cover the ground. He can't just rely on those tackles he has done in the past. I think he should be good. Yep. No, I agree with you there. You were on record earlier in the preseason saying that although you love LDU as a player, you don't necessarily see him as a a, a pure fantasy gun. Think the the Nat Fifes of the past that, you know, although they, you know, he won a Brownlow or two Brownlows, but he only ever averaged 105 as his max. You kind of see LDU in that mould? I I do only because I think the opposition attention should come to him. But you, you mentioned 105. He went 105 post-buy last year and he's priced at 97. If he were to go 105, he's gonna, not going to be a bad pick. But uh, I, what did he do? He went 121 from round 17 to round 20. But he's just so good. Like I love him. as a He's one of my favourite players in, in real life. And uh, he doesn't sort of chip around for the easy footy and he doesn't sort of um, go backwards when he's got the ball. He just runs straight lines, runs forward. So he's in my team for super coach, but obviously a nice clearance running through inside 50 hits up Larky, gets him 14 points in super coach, only gets you three for fantasy. So I think with these other names who are cheaper than him, who I, I can't see getting the tag. And that's the one thing about Rory Laird. He's not going to get a tag and, I think a few times in the last couple of years, I've been a bit scared the tags and they come because he's been getting these massive numbers. So that's the one tick on Laird. I, I think teams would be silly not to put.
put extra attention on LDU on every stoppage he goes to. Okay, I'll, I'll put you on the spot then. Who are these players that are cheaper than LDU that you think have the same sort of scoring potential um, to match it with some of these bigger premiums? Uh, you mentioned Crouch. I wasn't big on him earlier, but same thing. I, that age 28 season, only Wines is the same. But you've been playing the same time as I have. Like When we were sort of peaking, these guys were like, like gun premiums, Wines, Crouch, Jack Steele, and then... I just assumed that they were all over 30. I can't believe they're still all 28. Um, so I'd feel safer with a crouch, even though you've got someone who is borderline 22, particularly if Rankin gets more midfield time, Rochelle comes on, Saligo, Pedler, and you're not going to drop Laird or Dawson compared to someone who, if there was a schoolyard pick, he'd go in the top five in the AFL in LDU. I think I'd rather the uh, Matt Crouch, personally. Let's uh let's discuss Ollie Wines a bit because the Port Adelaide midfield has fascinated me. Zach Butters was someone that I put into my team at the start of preseason and kind of similar to Hayden Young. I didn't think too much of it and he kind of got a free ride for a, for a long time. But with Ollie Wines coming back, and I'm not saying Ollie Wines is going to go out and average over 100 and be the main fantasy scorer in that team, but you would have to think if he's, if he's in there and he's soaking up 70% CBAs and he's back you know, not to his prime because he's not going to win a Brownlow, but he's back playing good footy. In that system where they play such a low stoppage game and they just run and gun and they don't score, how can we realistically see Zach Butters go, you know, 107 plus with with those points coming from from Wines and, you know, Jason Orn Francis improving and, and Rosie still being Rosie? Yeah, I, th- I don't know if it was you who was saying it, but maybe their style was around the low stoppage and knock it on because they didn't have a good ruck. They were going in there with Finlayson and an injured lock Scott Lysett. So is that why? Because if you look at their players, like Horn Francis is one of the best clearance players in the comp. Butters is great at his clearances. He doesn't look it because he's so skinny, but he's a great clearance player. I think last year he averaged 4.4 clearances per game and gets a lot more contested possessions than you'd think from someone that size. So how does he get better? Yeah, that, those metrics don't say that, but the fact he went 110 last five, he's only 23, I can see the attention coming to him and that's the only reason why I can't see him improving. I think any system he's going to – he bobs up for outside marks, he gets in and under and wins contested footy. He kind of has that nice inside-outside blend that I think he certainly can improve if it wasn't for opposition attention. Yeah. Are you – you're warming to the idea of starting in Ollie Wines, thinking that potentially he can go back over 90 and be a, just a, a decent value option to get his to get our cash rolling to start the year before the, the premiums start to emerge? Yeah, no buy and that price. I, I want to watch him on the weekend and how they all go. Uh, but again, like, where's his cash going to be spent if, if we're taking a haircut on that top end there, top end defenders, midfielders and forwards? Is it an Ollie Wines who priced at 78 and might go in the 90s or do you, is that where you go, you move someone priced in the 90s up to your, the ones we spoke about before, the Laird type, so you can put the VC or C on and get that 115 times two instead of having all these players who who cap out at the, uh, the 100 marks. So at the moment, I've got to watch him closely. At the moment, I haven't got Wines in my super coach team, but he's... Uh, oh, it's between him and Crouch for that position for me. 
And just before we move on to the rucks, you're still against starting a Nick Martin, Amon type in the midfield, hoping that they get DPP in round seven. You'd much rather wait for the DPP to actually happen and then look at them if they're a look at them if they're a top six. I'll need to watch both of them, particularly Martin, who two very good judges in JD and then also Tommy, who does a lot of stuff for Supercoach for me. They're both Essendon supporters and normally, particularly Tommy, he's normally like you are with your own team. You're quite negative about players from your team and you're realistic, whereas he's very bullish on Nick Martin. I heard uh, JD on your chat, bullish as well. So they've obviously watched more of Nick Martin than I have. I keep going back to but I, I need to snap out of that, the fact that he never had more than 24 possessions in the waffle <laughs> And now we're expecting him to go 105 in AFL, but that's the role where we know he can score. I think he, well, he had that patch round 10 to round 15 last year, averaging 113 on the wing, and we know that no one scores or wings, and now he's going to play that perfect role of distribution. So maybe. I've got to watch him. Um, at the moment, he's, he's not on my radar for Supercoach, but, yeah, good judges of Supercoach are putting him straight in there. Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is – Papowski puts out all his worthwhile averages, which coincidentally line up pretty well with what you've preached on your podcast in terms of what players need to average to be successful picks. So Nick Mann, as a midfielder, would need to average over 100 to be a worthwhile pick, but this, a defender at the same price would only need to go from 85 up to 94 to be a worthwhile pick, and they're someone that's going to be close enough to the top of their line. And if you're swinging him back in round seven, then you know, maybe, you know, if he can get himself to 95, then that's going to be a, a very good pick. So that's one thing to think about. We're kind of judging him against the other midfielders, but it's only seven rounds. And if he does, if he's playing full-time defense and he's going to swing back there, then yeah, I, I am interested. I, I do want to see it, but I do know that I think I, I had a look at the stats last week and that the Essendon, if you averaged out the top five defenders from each team, they actually had the most points going around, but they then also only had, I think, Mason Redmond be the highest averaging defender at 86. So they're not afraid to share it around back there. So that's probably my biggest flag at the moment. Yeah, and that's what I, my flag was as well. Ridley, who I had in Supercoach, he took all the kick-ins and go short. and Then I might go to Redmond, who gets it and boots at 60. But that's what Tommy was saying, that Redmond just gets a ball and boots at 60 metres and it goes nowhere when it comes back or Ridley just plays it far too safe and is a bit slow with his kicks. They need someone to come in there. And I think it was Nick Hind, who was pretty good back end of last year, but he's now playing in the forward line. So I was with you, especially with uh, Andy McGrath there as well. I've got plenty of players who can kick the footy in their back line, but I think they've they've found a need. So we'll watch it. JD, I swear, did he say 105 at one point on your podcast? He did say 105, yeah. And he he even went on to say that that 105 was conservative. He could have even been better. So JD's pegging him to be the, the D2 behind Dacos. Yeah. What's the role? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, midfield. So let's move on to the rucks. So the, the talk the whole preseason is that there's three rucks that we need to pick from. We've got Gorn, we've got Grundy, and we've got Cherry. I think if you were hot on Gorn before, like I think a lot of people should be, his role in the game yesterday and and how he looks, I think you just absolutely have to lock that in, knowing that also you're potentially going to have a second captain option there that has ceiling of of 160 on his day. Um, But Grundy, Grundy and Cherry, Grundy's the interesting one because Zave's been pretty big on Grundy not having played good football for five years and being on a slow decline. And you famously say that he was the one that picked McRae in, 
from a footy sense, he's pretty good at seeing these players and, and picking the decline. So Grundy was pretty horrible tonight. He didn't score well, but they did play two rucks and they played a few extra tools as well. So I don't think that's necessarily reflective of how they're going to line up in round zero and we will get the look. But, you know, do we go Grundy or do we go Cherry? Good question. Good question. This is one where I've got only because there's only a couple options. I'll, I'm just going to pass on it just because obviously I've got people who subscribe to the, the Mirror's Magic site. But uh, Grundy did look poor. It would be very interesting to see what would have happened if there was no round zero and we only had that performance and score to go off to pick your team next week and, and how that would go for ownerships because yeah, interesting. I think he would have he was the highest owned out of the three of them before Gorn's match up and I, I reckon after this weekend he might be the lowest owned but uh, as I said I'm I'm just going to pass on that one. Yeah and I think what's interesting with that as well he Big O he's always been Big O's bunny even uh, 2021 his last year at Collingwood when he averaged 90 that was that was down by a game against Brisbane where he scored a 50 I think Big O's always had his had his measure so I don't think that's necessarily reflective of, of how he's going to score during the year, but it's definitely something to think of. Once again, we've all just kind of had him in there with a bit of a free ride, thinking that he's just going to go back to his 100 ways now that he's solo ruck, but maybe Zave's right. Maybe there's a little bit more to it and and maybe he's not the the smash pick that we think he is. But yeah, we'll, we'll skip the ruck. That's, that's fair enough. Then you've got to give me a bit of time in the forwards. <laughs> Flanders tonight didn't have the role. He didn't get as many CBAs as he did the week prior. And what seemed pretty obvious to me was that Gold Coast under Dimmer, I don't think they're going to be big scorers, especially up there at Metricon, you know, under the the, the slippery footy with the Jew and, and the way they're going to play under Dimmer. We saw Sexton go big. We saw Powell go big. That's how they play. They chip around in the back line, but then they go, and these midfielders don't seem to score. So there's definitely a worry now on Flanders. Yeah, so in terms of CBAs, if it wasn't for a coaching change, I think that wouldn't impact because he didn't have a heap of CBAs at the back. He was almost better when he came up from the half-forward line and roamed and did exactly what he wanted. 38% he had post-buy for his 105 and 32% last five for his 112. So that's not the concern. The preseason buzz, not a concern. You speak to anyone, whether even Dimmer himself, I think he was asked, who would you pick in your super coach? And he mentioned Flanders and everyone's talking Flanders. So... Yeah, the score was certainly underwhelming and the fact he was probably the fourth peg in that midfield group was underwhelming. And you're right, like those Richmond days where their midfielders were never scoring much over 90 and your half-backers of a Basher Hawley and a Jaden Short were their big scorers. So is it going to be that? And I think where well, he is bringing their game style, I was listening to them, someone interviewing Noah Anderson and, he was saying how like Dimmer's talking about all this stuff and Noah's like, oh yeah, that's it. You were doing that against us, you know, like exactly whatever Richmond was doing, they're doing that here. And as you know, the, the half forwards and the, the midfielders weren't high scorers. So yeah, it's a concern. We've got this early buy round zero, sorry, to see. Like if Flanders comes out and goes 110, then you're going to get a nice little price bump. But then you've also got that early buy too. So that's it's a tough one. I know I, some people were thinking it's not it's only it's still best 18 don't worry about these early buyers but I still think there's enough players to pick who across all lines where you can um, let that make the decision for you and, and avoid these early buy round players yeah I think this year has uh, a few parallels with how you started 
back in 2020 and not many coaches would have started this way. It's, you kind of bucked the trend a bit, but 2020 was the year that you started. I think it was five mid-prices in the forward line, right? So you had Brayshaw, Bailey Smith. I think there was a couple others as well. And I think this year, that's what we're going to look at here. If you know, I'm not confident picking a Flanders. I'm definitely not going McRae off his um, limited preseason. Taylor Adams, which we haven't touched on yet, who's done a, a slight medial in this game here. So he's going to be touch and go for round zero. You know, that that leaves, you know, starting potentially an F1 that might only be priced in the 70s or maybe even lower. So how do you see that? Yeah, I've done that before, as you said. And the advantage typically with that is that you get rid of a rookie off your field. So I remember oh, I didn't have Grundy that year and they played the first game of the season. I think he scored like a 130 or massive round one score and I didn't have him, but I still was ranked, I think I was ranked... Oh, 700 or something, or maybe even 200 after round one. So it just shows you don't have to have those top-end guys if, as long as you've got the distribution because it meant I didn't have the few low rookie scores. The thing with the forward line is that there's some very cheap options which you can fill out your forward line anyway uh, and happy to have them on the field, whether it's a Lazaro or a Sexton or a, we'll speak about Harley Reid soon, but even the uh, the Geelong mature-age rookie, if it's Darcy Wilson from St Kilda, like there's some good rookies in the forward line that uh, the advantage of typically the advantage of going these mid-prices means one less rookie but sometimes these rookies here or this year aren't too bad in this position but yeah I'm okay with going that mid-price heavy particularly because I've all got upside and the top end guys don't I'll uh, I'll get your opinion on some of these players because there's a few floating around so some of the mid-priced options I'm at least looking at the, the cheaper guys so you've got a Jack Billings who actually looked alright against Carlton, he, he seemed like he was playing high half forward, but wing at times pushing up. Whether or not that sticks with Hunter coming back at some stage, who knows, but he actually looked all right for his first real hit out in a while. You've got Nat Fife, who is playing midfield at Frio, but how his scoring is, we're not too sure in terms of purely being inside and never being a big tackler. One that I'm kind of warming to, and I, I like the look of as long as he's best 22 and he's got the role, is Tom Powell. He's always been a scorer, we saw in his first year he burst onto the scene when he did have the did have the midfield role and he's kind of been pushed out ever since. But he had massive junior numbers and I think in the right role he could be a decent cash generator for us as well. And then there's James Jordan who tonight played pretty much the wing in, in the first half when Adams and, and those guys were around. But after Adams went down, he saw a bit of a CBA jump in that fourth quarter. And I mean, he was scoring all well, scoring well throughout the game anyway, so that didn't really matter. But how many of these guys can we pick and who are you interested in? Uh, the riskiest one of all of them is Tom Powell because, as you said, you're not sure he's best 22. He's still pretty expensive at 518. He isn't guaranteed, even if he were to play, to play in the midfield. And if he's if he's playing, could he be sub or get subbed out? But they're the ones of oh, that year you spoke about, all those midfielders where you had to take that punt on the hope that they were going to go and get midfield role. And if they do, they're going to be smash picks. He's the age profile, age 22, that his body's not going to break down on him. And he's going to, if he plays the right role, as you said, he's a big scorer. In uh, in juniors, I think he averaged 119 in Sandville Colts in his draft year. Uh, whereas the other ones are all pretty well established players and they've been... They're ready in the good role. So whether it's a fifey, but he comes with that injury risk and age risk and rest risk. Uh, Billings, who I think he's going to be more outside now than what I initially was interested 
in him about, but he's I think he's had those big seasons at St Kilda when he was at high half forward, pushes up, takes lots of marks, kicks the ball, good kick to handball ratio. Out of all of them, I think Jordan's my my favourite. But again, we'll see in round zero what he does score. But he's he's proven before at AFL level, even on a wing, he can score fine. And if he's inside, he can score even better. So he's probably my favourite. Fifey for uh, the role was very good, but yeah, you know full well his injury risk. Uh, Tom Powers, the one I want to, I really want him to break out, but that's the one where you are you're almost just going on a hunch if you think he's good, unless we see on the weekend that he's he's starting midfield rotation because what at the moment they'll LDU is definitely going to be in there. Wardlaw when he's healthy is definitely going to be in there. Uh or does Simkin chop out a little bit? Maybe not. Lazaro, they've been talking up him all preseason. So maybe he is the fourth midfielder. And if that's all he needs, do I know we spoke about the midfield group that you don't want your player being the fourth rotation or Flanders? But if Tom Powers, the fourth man in the midfield rotation and gets his 55% center bounces, then I think he could be the best of a lot of them. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different when you're, you're picking your player as the fourth mid and you need him to go from 90 to 100 plus when he's 50 priced at 55 or whatever it is and and can go you know 75 80 I think it's a a little bit different but he probably fits the mold of of your strategy of your Taranto's Olivers of the past where you just don't start them but if round 1 rolls around and they've got the role and they they really look good then you you're more than happy to jump on there would you agree Yeah and I, I haven't got the price predictor here but well and I do love how fantasy players move price from round one or from the first game, whereas that's the knock on super coach is that they're complete free hits. You see the first two rounds of them and the prices don't move and then you can do your trades up to three trades with boosts and get on to someone and before they even move in price. But fancy, it's good that you are, you are going to pay the premium, but I'd rather pay that small premium for a bit more security and certainty. So uh, you can, at that price point, yes, he's going to go up in cash if you punch out a, a 90, 85 in round one, but I'd, rather pay that extra price knowing that he's had that in, had that ability and that's why this round zero is such a free hit for those Sydney Melbourne Gold Coast players because you get that without having to waste a trade on them you can start with them knowing you're going to get that price built into it you touched on him before before we finish off so Harley Reid what are you thinking with Harley Reid because we don't like to put too much weight into these pre-season practice games these ones this weekend the more official ones we like to look at for more role clarity and and more of a, a real hit out but practice games we don't generally take too much out of other than our players are fit and healthy but he looked a bit of a, a step off it in his first real sort of hit out for the eagles looked a couple of steps off it uh and everyone well, anyone in shoot always says which is true he's going to be a high impact player he's not going to be he's not a mccurcher he didn't get 40 possessions in juniors. He, I don't even, I think he got one ton last year in the, uh, or the Coates League, I think it was called last year. So he's certainly not an accumulator. But then you hear people from West Coast who are close to him who are saying that if they had to rank their players, not on potential, but on this year, he'd be top five. Like he's, he's stepping right into one of their best players already. And I, I dare say that's a bit of an indication on where West Coast are at. But the, they're buying into the hype and they've seen a lot of him at training. So as it stands, I've got him in my super coach and I doubt I'm going to move him. I don't mind your theory of 
putting him on the bench, even though he's an expensive bench option. I think we've got we might have that extra funding this year to do that because we're taking haircuts elsewhere. And if he performs, you get the cash gen, and it only would be one or two weeks before you're going to have to have players on their buy, and you'll be able to get him on the field anyway with people on their buy, like a James Jordan or whoever it is. So you still will use him, but you don't have to take that risk in round one of having him on the field because. I know one of your good strategies is jumping off the highly owned players before the rest. And if Harley Reid does get a 30 or 40 in round one and you haven't got him on your field, then that could be a great way to get the kicker. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Before we wrap up, can you just give us a little bit more of an in-depth plug on your new fantasy game? Because I'm really keen. I haven't looked into it as much just yet, but I'm keen to to get a bit of an insight from you of, what it's going to offer and, and how it sort of differs from the, the fantasy game we normally play. Yes. So Bolter it's called and the domain is bolter.team and it's come about, we started the AFLW fantasy a couple of years ago before there was the one for the uh, the official one. So we've kind of had the, had the tech built for running a fantasy comp. There's probably no urgent need for a second or third comp, including fancy or fourth comp, including real DT. But the plan is to evolve it into a draft, a more customized draft platform, which I think there is a need for, whether that is one where you can trade future picks in keeper leagues, or if you can do auction drafts or category leagues. So we've got some plans for that, but to get to that stage, we needed to, well, we need things such as DPPs and, um, flexible scoring and stuff like that, which we're going to need for classic anyway. So we've got ourselves as classic products. We thought, why not just roll it out, particularly this year when there's so many different things going on in the main game where we can sort of differentiate and try to make it a little bit less consuming way to play fantasy and uh, whether it's with the fixed lockouts being on a Saturday. So you'll know the teams come Friday teams and put your team in and not have to worry about your loopholes or your bench swaps or laid outs or subs. We've got a... uh, a or in real life AFL, if someone gets an early injury, then that team subs on someone else. So why not in fantasy? So we've got it. If you've got a player who plays less than forty percent time on ground, you'll get your emergency score if that emergency is higher. So no need to worry if your player on a Sunday becomes the sub and plays less than forty percent time on ground, you'll get your emergency score anyway. Uh, the positions we've ch- chucked in some flexibility again, trying to be like real life AFL where. A real-life team have to pick six defenders each week, one ruck, five mids, and six forwards, and then there's four sitting on the bench who can be from anywhere. So we've kind of done the same where you've got to pick the 6-6-6 and then four players you can pick from any position. So come round one, you can start Cherry, Gorn, Grundy, even Soldo, pick four bent four um, rucks on your field, so be it if you want. Uh, so it's starting off in round zero, so you'll be able to pick all those players we spoke about where – the hesitation is that early buyer, Dacos, Goulden, Tom Green, Sexton, all these players. And then after round zero, which we're going to have a bonus prize, I'll announce it soon, but it's going to be significant enough for hopefully people, if they don't want to juggle multiple teams, they can just play that one round zero and then give up on it. Um, but those who want to play the full season can do it. It's unlimited trades up until round one. So you can then pick your team. And we've done it in a way where the pricing is different but you can still fit your existing official classic team into our salary cap. So you can even run the exact same team across both formats. And if you had something like a Callum Mills of last year, a three, and they were your captain, all of a sudden 
this is a bit of a backup where you you won't get that three, you won't get that captain score, your vice captain kicks in if it has less than 40% time on ground. So it's an evolving product. Uh, I'm pretty happy with how it's currently looking and operating. We've come a long way from well, the finals footy fantasy in 2022 we run, but we've got big ambitions for making some new fun products going forward, particularly around the draft space, or even maybe it could be these one-week comps like this round zero where you've put so much time and effort, which I, I do too, into your classic team. Sometimes it's good having a little side thing just to run one without much pressure and, and have a crack at it. Yeah, mate, sounds elite. Just on that round zero, so you, you've got a full salary cap, so you need to pick a team from round zero players inside of your normal salary cap before you then pick a team in round one. Yep, so salary cap in... This game, and again, we've made it a bit more simple where the salary caps are 1.75 mil, which if you divide the salary cap of the real-life AFL by the magic number, it becomes 1.75. So essentially everyone's price is what they're priced at. So Tim English averaged 118.7 last year. He's 118.7K. So it's quite easy to work out what someone's priced at and if they're good value or bad value. Nat 5, 57,000 dollars or whatever it ends up being so you have to fit your round zero team in that salary cap and then the prices will move after round zero so you might not be able to build the exact same team as your classic but hopefully you'll you'll pick players in your round zero which will either hold price or go up in price and you might be able to fit in a bit more in this one than your classic but yeah I I encourage everyone to at the very least to check out the platform at bolter.team give some feedback and throw in a team for this round zero because um, I think that'll be a bit of fun. And then if you if you like it, enjoy it. We could, we've could we got leagues so you can – if you want to play purely for leagues and you've got some people who run the loopholes and run the uh, the laid outs so and they're all over it and typically they get the favour, you might want to run your leagues through this comp because they're fixed lockout and a bit more, um, more customisation. And uh, where can the listeners go to find your season guide for this year that is, once again, looking absolutely elite and a must-have? It's no no longer a must-have because there's so much good content out there. I do say that. But uh, mareraismagic.com.au, you find us on on Twitter and the the links on the bio. Um, And, yeah, check it out. We, As I said, it's... When we first started, there was not a heap of content out there, so I, I think it was almost that. But now, as I said, with such good content out there, you, you certainly don't need it, but we try to make it like you do. And unfortunately, you've lost old Dossie there because he was big on that too. But we try to make it a bit more of an entertainment piece as well where hopefully people actually, you're not just getting the advice, which you can get other places too, but you're also getting some enjoyment out of it as well. Yeah, nah, beautiful, mate. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate your time and... I'm looking forward to hearing your last few chats with Zave as, as we close in on round zero and really tackling this fantasy season that we, we haven't seen before. It's going to be good. Uh, cheers, Holmesy, and uh, all the best. I've enjoyed your content all pre-season. Sad to see Dossie go, but uh, you've got a great team there. I've, I've loved listening to Stato and big, um, big Army, so keep it up. Nah, no worries, mate. Thanks, uh, thanks again, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Cheers, mate.